Well, good morning, guys. How are you? Welcome, welcome to CLC. We are so glad that you are here this morning. I want to invite you guys to stand with us. We're going to start our time together in a time of song, time of praise and worship. And this morning, we are also starting our new series that'll take us all the way through Easter called Forever Change. So it's going to be an awesome morning, and we're so glad that you guys are here with us. We want to go ahead and pray the Lord's Prayer together and start our time with that. So if you would, pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we just thank you for bringing us here together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your plan of the local church and how you invite us and draw us in to be a part of what you're doing uh, through that. And we thank you for um, just your example of how you go before us and how that you are with us even today and that we can trust in that. We can count on that. God, just as we even just prayed that prayer, we think how many have gone before us um, that have gotten to do that very same thing. And we join in with that, a story that's so much bigger than each and every one of us, but a story that you are writing of redemption and um, redeeming your creation. And uh, thank you that we get to be a part of that. So we look forward to our time together this morning in worship and praise. Thank you for your word that guides us and speaks truth to us and your Holy Spirit that um, does incredible, miraculous work inside of our hearts. We love you. We thank you, we praise you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Love to invite you guys to worship with us this morning. Shut up. 
As I mentioned, we're going to be uh, starting a new series this morning. It's going to be incredible, and it's going to take us all the way um, through Easter. And um, this is going to be a song, hopefully, that we'll get to um, play throughout this season in this series, and it's called Resurrecting. And it's been around for a few years, but it's going to be new to us um, here doing it on Sunday. And, um, and it is just such a beautiful look at the gospel and all that Jesus walked through um, and obviously ends with knowing that we have a resurrected King and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we can trust in that, we can hope in that. I wanna read this from Ephesians. It says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So as you guys catch on to this song, you'll. Um, sing it out with us. We look forward to being able to declare this as a church um, that our God lives. Oh, pray. 
I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting by the Spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The borrowed for three days his body there would not remain as our God has robbed the grave our God is robbed
God, God, most importantly, as we look forward to uh, this Easter season, God, that, that we would recognize that you are our source of redemption. That there is absolutely nothing we could do by our own work and our own effort to redeem ourselves, God, but it's a gift that you freely give. Father, I pray that we would stand in awe of that as we reflect on, uh, on this season. God, I thank you for providing us with, with healing and transformation. And God, I, I pray that uh, today as Scott comes to, uh, to bring the message that you have laid on his heart for us, that God, that, that you would provide that transformation and healing to each and every heart here, God. Pray that we would all leave here um, changed uh, to be closer to the image of your son. Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Before you guys are seated, if you will turn and greet the people around you, shake some hands, learn some names. If you're with us online, we are so glad you are here. We'll be back here shortly. Well, good morning. Hope everybody is doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this uh, snowy Sunday morning. What happened to spring, y'all? There was enough pollen out yesterday to, well, whatever. I'm not going down that road. Um, thank you for being here today. Uh, my name is Scott Verano. I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it's an honor to have you here in the family room or to have you joining us online. It means the world to us that you would take time to to be here with us and to work through Scripture and to spend some time in worship and, and just, just thank you so much for doing that. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that you discover that source of life and that you hold on to it, but then also that you'll share it with every single person um, that you encounter. And if there's anything we can do in this crazy journey um, of life, please let us know so we can stand alongside you. A couple quick announcements, and then, and then we'll jump into a new series that we're starting today. So the first is about our Encircle, um, our Encircle Life uh, ministry. So we just had Night to Shine, which was our prom for our special abilities group, and that was absolutely phenomenal. 
And some of you may not know that every single week, 52 weeks out of the year, uh, upstairs, we have a ministry that takes care of our folks, 30 30 plus people that show up every week to have worship, to have a message, to work through crafts. And, um, And so the thought is maybe you came and volunteered for Night to Shine and you just really have a heart for that ministry. We would love to get you signed up and get you included in in standing alongside them and supporting them uh, maybe during one of the services on a Sunday morning. And if you're interested in doing that, um, you just need to register. They've got a work day coming up on March 2nd where they'll teach you all of the things that you need to know so that you can be proficient in that class and, and, and help those students. Um, if you're looking to volunteer, not just there, but anywhere, um, if you have, there, there's two, a couple different ways to do that. Uh, the, the two QR codes that are on the chair in front of you, or we're going to put them online. The one on the left will take you to like an information page, and in there you can scroll down and you can find that way to connect. Or if you have the church app, if you open up that church app down on the bottom right-hand side, is the serve button. Mash that serve button and it'll open up all the different places that you can jump in. But so appreciate you finding your connection in the life of the church and, and serving in such valuable ways. So thank you for that. And then um, the other one had to do with the, the QR codes, which I already told you about. Um, and so maybe I'll just add that the QR code on the right is the giving QR code. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, January was an incredible month. If you are a person that likes to look at spreadsheets, we have one for you covering January. It's out at the front desk. You can grab that on the way out. Um, if you have any questions, let us know. So we've already started the family room renovation by adding the first of Well, it's two air conditioners and a dehumidifier. And so we went ahead and put that in this week. That's why it's 30 degrees outside. It works great. Um, We just got it aimed the wrong direction. No. Uh, So so that's been changed out, and we're just going to continue to move in that process until we get everything all updated and and moving. All right, one one more thing, and this is about Wednesday night. So Wednesday night was uh, uh, an Ash Wednesday service. And because we're a non-denominational church, and we don't ask you to check your denomination at the door, that means we've got a lot of different um, denominations that show up. And some of you, you hear Ash Wednesday and you're like, yeah, I don't know what that's all about. I don't know that I want to do anything with that. And um, I, I tried to set you at ease and say, don't worry about it. Don't just, just come and show up. And I promise you, if you don't want anything to do with the ashes, you don't have to. And here's what's beautiful is on Wednesday night, we had over 300 people show up to ask themselves the question. It had nothing to do with ashes. To ask themselves the question, what stands between me and knowing Christ more. What gets in the way? What things do I need to get out of the way, or what things do I need to add to sweeten that relationship so I can discover a greater walk with Christ? And it was so incredible to see the folks show up that were here, and I'm excited about this Easter series because you guys are serious about what God wants to do in your life. Now, here's a moment of confession that I've got to tell you about. So when things happen that I know are going to make the book someday, you know the book, whatever that is, me saving these stories, I I want to share them with you. So um, I sat Matt down, and Matt, Matt's the youth director. I said, Matt, help. I didn't sit him down. I asked him to come in. And um, I said, what, what are some different ways that we can handle the ashes so it doesn't freak people out? So we came up with four different options. Number one, if you're traditional and you want the ashes on your forehead, come forward. We're going to do it that way. Number two, if you're not so okay with that, but you still want the ashes, we explained what they all meant. Come forward, hold your, hold your fist out like that, and we'll put the ashes on, on your hand. Third way, if you just want to come forward and receive a blessing, come forward, give us the old sign of don't put the ashes on me, and uh, we'll just pray a blessing over you, which, by the way, we prayed a blessing over everybody in the building, every single individual and families together. It was incredible. And then finally, if you don't want any of that stuff, you don't have to come forward at all. You can exit, and it's all good. Just listen to the message and allow it to do something in your life. Here's what your pastor did, Um, and not really proud of it, but anyways, we're going through this awesome time where people are coming forward. We're doing the imposition of the ashes and we're praying blessings over people. And then finally, this young man and his mother come forward. And as he walks up, he holds his hand out just like this. Do you know what I did? I fist bumped that joker. (laughs) Not once, twice. I wonder why he held his thing. And I didn't realize until his mom went, It was like three degree head shift and I knew immediately I had blown it totally, right? Like he just wanted the ashes on his hand and here's this preacher just fist bumping him away. So if that was you, I humbly apologize and I don't know what penance I need to pay for that, but it just was not okay. Uh, That, I love this church that you guys can allow me to be an idiot. And, um, and still, you'll, we'll, we'll do this together. So that was, that was my fun story from Ash Wednesday. And I'm excited about the transformation that God is going to bring in our lives. So we start a new series today called Forever Changed. And this is our Easter series. And, and what we're going to be doing is looking at seven different individuals from our New Testament whose lives were changed forever. 
So forever changed. And we are going to ask the question, what is it about their lives? What were they walking through? What were they facing that was changed with their encounter with Christ? And maybe how did it lead? What was the outcome of their life or what did we see? What, what was the issue they were struggling with? And what was it that God brought to them or Jesus brought to them and revealed to them that changed the arc or changed the trajectory of their lives? And here's what I want you to know, that as we're working through this study, I'm finding that the things that they walked through 2,000 years ago are some of the very same things that we're walking through today. And so my hope is that as we study these individuals, that we're going to find things in our lives that we can adjust or that we can understand more clearly so we can move closer to God. Now, I do want to say this. This series, although we're going to be talking about seven different individuals, is about who? It's our Easter series. Who's this series about? Every series, we are going to connect you to Jesus. And so this is about Jesus bringing transformation in our lives. That's our hope. That's what I want you to see. And I pray that as you go through this Easter season, that when you get home and in the car, you're saying, well, I don't know about this person and this story, and maybe this was more connected. It's going to be a lot of fun. So here's what we're going to do for every single Sunday. We've recorded a video. One of the folks that are sitting next to you here in the building um, who are not paid actors or actresses sat down and recited a monologue, worked through some parts of a script to let you know about the person we're going to be talking to today, but they don't say their name until the very end. And so here's the challenge. Can you figure out who this is before they tell you their name? This is going to be the person we're studying. And so let's go ahead and roll that. I, I still don't know why he asked me to come along. I'm not even sure what I bring to the table. I don't have a great sense of humor. I'm a little slow in seeing things. And people have a hard time with my previous line of work. Family, friends, the synagogue, every single one of them ostracized me for collecting taxes. Someone had to do it. It's a job. And I was good at it. I get figures, calculations. Things are black and white. So why ostracize me? I wasn't the one who took the money from them. It was Rome. I tried to be as fair and lenient as the law would allow me to be, but still, they barred me from going to the synagogue. I was in my booth, just a normal day. The line was long. Suddenly, there was a commotion. People began running to the south. He and his entourage were walking by. I craned my neck to see above the crowd, to see this rabbi. He paused and then walked towards me. It was like the parting of the Red Sea. People moved out of the way as he approached my booth. He walked up to me and said two simple words, follow me. Me, the ostracized one. I don't know why I did it, but I closed my booth and invited him to dinner at my house. Not only did he come, he brought his followers with him. My life changed at that dinner. Everything changed at that dinner. But as usual, the Pharisees showed up and tried to cause trouble. But Jesus said to them, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. And he said, He desires mercy and not sacrifice. Then he told them, Go and learn what that meant, saying, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And in one second, everything I knew, everything that I thought I deserved had changed. I finally understood. He came for me. It wasn't about me being unworthy because I couldn't keep the law. No. He taught us that we are all unworthy. He came to forgive what I had done and restore me to others. He even came to help me learn to follow him. My life was no longer about me being worthy. It was now about his grace that made me worthy. I was so angry at the church, so angry at people, making us believe that they were so much more righteous than me. No, now I know what matters is him, truly knowing him. I am Matthew, restored to my real name, Levi, which means joined, only in this case, rejoined. As in back to the heart of God, the forgiven, the accepted, the one given grace, and in return, the one willing to offer his grace to those like me. I met Jesus and my life has been forever changed.
didn't know that Matthew was from uh, Massachusetts, did you? My heart, I, lo- I love EJ. My heart has been forever changed. Um, how many of y'all have Matthew had that figured out pretty early on, right? That, that one's going to be easy. Some of the ones that we go through, you're going to be like, I have no earthly idea who that's going to be. So today, we're going to study Matthew. I'm talking about Jesus, but we're going to study Matthew. And it's going to be, this is going to be a different series. Um, we're going to challenge you to consider these people that are so central to our, our faith. We're going to use Scripture to build the foundation of, of the story. But then in some instances, we're going to draw from extra canonical sources to kind of inform us as to how their life ended up or maybe insights that tells you just different things about their lives. So it's going to be a challenge. We're going to work through it. And um, probably every week what will happen is I'll give you all the context up front then we'll focus on Scripture because we want to make sure that we hold Scripture correctly, and then um, we'll, we'll draw the message out of that. So here we go. Let's talk about Matthew, and let's just work through some of the facts. So first thing you need to know is that Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. Now, you guys know that. Um, you may not know that after that, after the resurrection and after Jesus goes on to be with the Father, he becomes one of the apostles of the, the early church. An apostle is just a big churchy word that means overseer or father or um, carries the message of the disciples because he walked with Jesus. So therefore, when he taught, there was more, um, uh, more weight maybe to his messages. So he was, a, was an apostle of the early church. So what was his profession? He was a tax collector. Right now, that means if he's a tax collector that everybody loved him, right? Just like we love taxes and we love paying taxes. No, no, being a tax collector during this time, they were hated even more than maybe we don't like the tax collector now. Although I don't know if we could ever find a tax collector. They hide behind internet and the way they find us. But, But anyways, tax collecting during this time... They were hated, they were loathed, they were despised. And so I want to give you some information about these tax collectors. During this time, tax collectors, they were so hated that they were ostracized from all forms of public worship. Weren't allowed in parts of the temple, weren't allowed in synagogue, weren't allowed to gather for the festivals. They were pushed aside, not allowed to be a part of it because they were considered unclean because of their practice of turning on their kinfolk or turning on the Jewish nation. Even so much that in the Talmud, you can read from some of the different rabbis, their writings, where they gave um, Jewish uh, believers the ability to even lie to tax collectors. So how, how is that, that they give them a pass, that if you want to lie to a tax collector, God will forgive you for that. That's how much they hated tax collectors. You can't make this stuff up, right? So that would have been the life that Matthew would have understood in, in terms of his relationship to the church. Now, two different types of tax collectors during this time. First group was called the Mocassim, which are the, the tax collectors that would have been more Roman officials. They would have collected, collected taxes on land and on farms, and you would not have seen them in the same way. They would have paid those taxes. They would have been way more regimented. But we know mostly the tax collectors that we talk about are the, ga, the Gabaim, which is what we know Matthew to be. And there really were two types of the Gabaim. Um, One was a regional tax collector, and the other was an individual tax collector. Now, in our scripture, outside of Matthew, there's one other regional tax collector that's named, and can you guys remember his name? He, He was a wee little man. Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector, lived in Jericho, but Zacchaeus was known to be a regional tax collector. Now, here's how taxes worked in this time um, for Rome. So a, a regional tax collector would go and try and get a contract for certain communities. And so Zacchaeus would go and he would say, okay, um, here's our bid. We're going to pay, if you give us Navarre, Gulf Breeze, and Pensacola, we're, my company will pay you, Rome, $1.5 million, whatever it is. And Rome's going to look at all the bids, and then they're going to, of course, take the highest bidder. And then here's the thing that made these guys so corrupt, that if your bid was $1.5 million, Rome just wanted their money. They did not care how much above and beyond that you collected. And so this is why tax collectors were so hated by the Jewish people, because they constantly extorted them for way more money. Now, Matthew was known as that individual tax collector. So Zacchaeus would not have really been known in the individual communities. But Matthew, who's believed to be from Capernaum, which is where Jesus' earthly ministry was housed out of, was collecting taxes from his family, from his friends, from all of those people that he grew up with. 
and he was despised. He was hated. At that time, Capernaum was really a crossroads where the roads, all roads from Egypt that would head to the north that would allow you to get over what was ancient Babylon during that time, um, that Rome had created all those robes, went right through Capernaum. And so him setting up to collect tolls, to collect uh, taxes on customs, all of those things, that would have been Matthew's job. And in his community, he would have been hated. Now, in our New Testament, there are three different tax collectors. So we've already talked about Zacchaeus. We're going to talk about Matthew today. There was one other tax collector who's not named. His story is found in Luke chapter 18, and Jesus tells the story. And so here's what he says. He says, there's two people that go to the temple to pray. There is a Pharisee who looks out over all the people, and he sees the people and he says, God, I thank you that I am not a sinful person like the rest of these people to include this vile tax collector. And then Jesus says, and then there's the tax collector who stood at a far distance away. Now I'll ask you, why was he at a far distance away? Because he wasn't allowed to be there. Isn't the nuance of scripture so interesting? He wasn't allowed to participate. So this means that this tax collector had to stand at a distance away. And Jesus says, he beat his chest and he said, Father, forgive me for I am a sinful man. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do you suppose was justified and forgiven in that moment? And the disciples answer that it was the tax collector. And Jesus says, absolutely. Now, here's what you need to know. The three tax collectors, Zacchaeus, Matthew, and this unknown publican were all justified and all forgiven. And so all of those tax collectors were, were understood as forgiven in the scripture by Jesus. So would you cut the tax collectors a break, y'all? Be nice to them. I'm kidding. So there's something about scripture where Jesus is calling these tax collectors. Now, to specifically talk about Matthew, we have a little bit of a challenge with Matthew. In all of our New Testament, we have the sum total of five verses about Matthew. Five verses. Now, those verses, it's about one story. It's the call of Matthew, and it shows up in Matthew, it shows up in Mark, and it shows up in Luke. But it really is the only insight that you have about Matthew and about this tax collector. And so when you watch shows like The Chosen, and, um, and you imagine that they have they've put together this character, they are making some educated guesses based on a few different things. But what you have to know is we're all making it up to some degree based on what we know of tax collectors, based on what we know of Matthew. But we're going to study those five verses today that will give us some insight about Matthew. But here's the neat thing. We only have five verses, and I need to say this, five verses about him. He's listed in a list of disciples in other places, but it doesn't tell you anything about him. And so we have those five verses. But here's what we also have about Matthew. We have an entire gospel that is believed to be what he wrote. And how many of you know that if you read something that someone writes, you can find out a lot about that person, especially if you have three other gospels to compare it to? What does Matthew highlight as being important? What does he not really talk about? What does he lift up? And so I want to pose some of those to you because we want to understand the arc of his life. When his life was forever changed, what were those things that meant something extra to Matthew that he really captured inside of his gospel? And so the first thing that I think is most important is when you look at the gospel of Matthew, Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than all three of the other gospels combined. In Matthew's gospel, he quotes the Old Testament 99 times. Now you may say, Scott, what, why does that even matter? That matters because remember, as a business professional and tax collector, he would have been ostracized from all religious gatherings. And so for him to understand and study and learn about his faith, he would have had to do it on his own. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't learn that stuff before or learn it after when Jesus called him out of that, but it would have been a challenge for him in his life to have wrestled through the faith to figure out all of this other truth. And then also, it seems intuitive in our minds that if you think of Matthew, who was rescued from this life of extortion, that maybe he would be heavy on the side of grace. And he is, but he's really heavy on the side of doing what you say you're going to do, not practicing what you preach. This is when you look and you see all of the Old Testament, all of the law that is written speaks to a person in Matthew who knew more about the Torah and more about the law, maybe than even some of the people who chastised him or ridiculed him or shamed him. So you have this person who knew God, knew about God, knew his history, knew the story of his faith, but was prohibited to be a part of any of those worship services. And you can imagine what that would do 
in a person's life. Reading about what God was like and then looking at the people that represent the faith and seeing an incongruence there. It's not matching. What you're saying is not matching what I'm studying in Scripture. And you can imagine what this would do to his heart. So about the Scripture, about the Old Testament, all those different times that he put in there. The other one for me is that Matthew clearly valued practicing what you preach. So if you take Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and you break it down, it really is five giant um, sermons from Jesus. You have the Sermon on the Mount, then you have, um, you have uh, I wrote them all down. You have the Sermon on the Mount, then you have the Mission Discourse, then you have the Parable Discourse, the Farewell Discourse, and the Apocalyptic Discourse. So you have all of these big giant sermons where Matthew takes Jesus' words, and then between them, he connects them with Jesus doing what he says. So Jesus preaches a sermon, and then Matthew connects the next sermon by talking about Jesus living it out or fulfilling the mission that he said. So what he says means something to him. And if we just took the Sermon on the Mount on the surface, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Addie covered this last week so beautifully, talks a lot about um, the law. And he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Well, I say to you, not only do not commit adultery, but don't look at a woman with lust inside of your heart or you have sinned. He says, you heard it said, do not um, commit murder. He says, but I tell you, do not even be angry with your brother or sister. And so what Jesus is talking about is taking the law and not just checking the boxes on accomplishing the law, but allowing the law to transform your life so that the things that you say you believe, you actually believe. So for Matthew, he wanted to see things line up. If you said it, it was going to mean something to him. If you said it and you didn't live that way, he had nothing to do with you because he was searching for something different, searching for something more meaningful, at least this is what I see and this is what I believe. Now, here's the final point, and then we're going to read the scripture. The last thing that I think really speaks volumes about Matthew and the challenge that he had with the Jewish ruling party at the time is how he writes about them. So if you go to Mark and, um, and you turn to Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, 38, 39, 40, three verses, Mark quotes Jesus in his um, disdain or um, not happiness, unhappiness with the, the, the leaders of, of the faith at the time when Jesus says that their hearts weren't right and they weren't lined up. Three verses, ooh, not real terrible. Go to Matthew, just for fun tonight. You should go and you should read Matthew chapter 23. I just wanna give you the highlights. Matthew gives you an entire chapter of Jesus railing on the, on the religious uh, ruling order. He starts off by calling them he says, he says, do whatever they teach you to follow. He says, do whatever they teach you and follow it, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Jesus calls them hypocrites like seven different times. He says, you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. He says, you are blind guides. You are blind fools. Woe, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You tithe on all of these little individual things, but you don't take care of widows and orphans. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you're clean on the outside of the cup but, and the plate, but the inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Really kind loving things, right? That's, Matthew puts every single word of that in there to let you know that Jesus was not happy with the disciples. He even calls them serpents who are trying to steal your children. Matthew has this disdain and this, this um, and, and it makes sense, right? For a person who was ostracized and pushed out of the church who maybe knew more than that ruling order ever could possibly probably would create some type of hurt or anger at those who are supposed to represent God in a better way. And so if you just take all of that and you consider it, let's now jump into the scripture and we're gonna read Matthew chapter nine and we're gonna start um, with, with verse nine and we're just gonna work through this. Oh, I forgot a whole piece. You wanna know how his life ended up? It's four different choose your own adventures, all right? So four things in history. I'll tell you these really quickly. Um, first one, uh, they, so he traveled as a missionary and went out east to, to Parthia, and um, they believe that he went to help Andrew work with a, a society of cannibalists. I don't know if that's a society, and it went great. He was teaching them the gospel until it no longer went great, and they believe he was burned at the stake. That's, that's one. One person, only one thing in all of history claims that he lived out his days peacefully and died an old man. Probably didn't happen. Um, the third one, and this is most likely, that he moved to Parthia, uh, ministered to the king, 
and the king accepted Jesus into his life and the transformation started happening in the kingdom, so much so that the king's daughter pledged her life to be a life of celibacy. And so along later, the king passes away and his brother takes over the throne and his brother decides he wants her for his wife. And so Matthew, in a church service, denounces the king in front of everybody that's there. How do you think that went? Not very well. And his servant comes up and impales Matthew and kills him. And it's believed that that's actually the story, that he died for defending the right of this young lady that, that decided to, to live a life of celibacy. And then another one, um, and this, uh, another, another story says that religious leaders stoned him, and there's just not a lot of history that goes along with that. Okay, so Matthew 9. Um, Sermon on the Mount ends in chapter 7. Chapter 8 is Jesus living it out walking out everything that he just said. Um, you see him healing a ton of people at Peter's house. Uh, he calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he casts out demons. He he heals a paralytic. And here's one thing I want you to know, that Matthew, more than likely, knew Jesus before he ever had this encounter. He's in Capernaum, would have heard of this rabbi, probably sat and listened to the Sermon on the Mount, even though he wasn't one of the disciples, but had to wrestle through what was taught there. And so when this encounter happens, more than likely, he was already watching and considering Jesus this rabbi. So verse 9, um, one, one last thing I'm going to say. Uh, where Mark and Luke add different insight, I'm going to go ahead and add it in the story so you can see the fullness of these few verses that we get. Verse 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. Now, the other two gospels tell us they introduce him as Levi. Now, the name Levi means joined. That would have been his Jewish name, would have connected him all the way through the past. And more than likely, that was his given name. But like Jesus did with many of the disciples, Matthew was probably the given name that Jesus gave him. That's the name that we see in the records of all the gospels going forward. And Matthew means gift of Yahweh. So you get those two names, but in the other two Gospels, it tells you that his name is Levi, son of Alphaeus. And so you kind of find that he's there in that region, in that area, collecting taxes. Mark tells you that Jesus is walking by the seashore. So that also tells you that it would have been right here in this region of Capernaum. And then you get this exchange. It says, and he, that's Jesus, said to him, to Matthew, two simple words, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Two words. If we're going to talk about the arc and the change that happened in his life, we usually know that two words are not enough to convince any of us, even the most gullible people on the planet, to walk away from anything. So we have to believe that there's more to the story than just what happens. But Jesus says these two words, and it causes a shift inside of his heart. So it's either something about Jesus, something about what he's seen, something about how he carries himself, the reality, the revelation, whatever it is, when Jesus invites Matthew to follow him, all three gospels line up in this, he does exactly that. He gets up and he walks away from what might have been the most lucrative career for anyone during that time. And he leaves and he goes and he follows Jesus. Those words in the story of his life changed him forever. So there was something in that conversation that, or in that thought that we're going to capture as we kind of work through the scripture. Verse 10, it says, Now as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. Now if you just left this to Matthew, you would think that they just went to dinner, that they all got together and they went to dinner. But Mark and Luke tell you something different. In fact, Luke says it wasn't just a dinner, it was a great banquet. And guess whose house it was at? You don't know. Matthew's house. Matthew throws a huge party and he invites all of his friends to come to it. So when Matthew tells you the story, he's like, eh, we went to dinner and a bunch of tax collectors showed up. Luke's like, I don't know. It wasn't just dinner. It was a huge banquet and all of these tax collectors and all of these sinners come together. Now, let me just ask you a question. Why do you think Matthew invited tax collectors and sinners? Because that's all he knew. Exactly. He didn't know any good good people. All he knew were tax collectors and sinners. It's the only ones that would hang out with them. Now, we, we tore this back up and forward in, in our men's Bible study about what does this mean? Was there a party going on and they just went to it? Well, Luke kind of blows that up unless the party just happened to be at, at Matthew's house. 
But, but really, if you know Matthew's scripture and how he talks about the Old Testament, this almost seems to line up with the story of Elijah and Elisha, where when, when Elijah calls Elisha, he was, he was plowing a field with the oxen. And what does he do? He takes the cart, he takes all the oxen, and he goes back and he, he kills them all, and he creates this huge sacrifice, and he walks away from that life to be forever changed, to go pursue the call of God in his life. And maybe that's what you, 100% maybe, maybe that's what you see happen in Matthew's life. Because he truly walks away from this life that he had continued to, that he had started to live in. So maybe it looks like that, but regardless, a lot of people believe that this was him inviting his friends, the sinners, the tax collectors, to come see this rabbi. There's something different about this rabbi. Jesus might have been the only rabbi to ever look him in the face and say kind words or to even invite him to be in his presence, let alone ask him to follow him. And so you find out that, that, that Matthew throws this party, invites him to the house. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, here we go. Remember the challenge of Matthew's life. Here it comes. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher t- uh, eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Now, I tried to honestly think about this question. Who in the disciples are going to answer this? And I'll tell you, none of them. I bet all the disciples are saying something like this. Yeah. Why are we eating with all these tax collectors and sinners? In fact, Matthew's like, I don't know, but this is awesome, right? Like, we've got the rabbi here. It's the first time I've ever been able to be together in a, with a holy experience with a rabbi. So they would not have been able to articulate that well. So I'm grateful that Jesus does. Verse 12, but when he, that's Jesus, heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Wonderful phrase. And so I'll ask you the question. Don't answer out loud. Do you think that Jesus was saying this as if to say, hey, Pharisees, you're fine. You don't need a physician. You're well, but I'm here to help the poor people that are sick. Do you think he was saying that? Okay, I'm sorry. I asked you to not answer, but then I asked you the question. The answer is no, because Scripture teaches us that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. This question is more about our awareness of our sin. And on one hand, you had the Pharisees who in their lives had decided that they were righteous and that their righteousness exceeded that of the others. And so why would you ever want to hang out with them? They weren't even aware that they were sick. And then you have tax collectors and sinners who were very aware that their life was less than and that they were ostracized and and they were in need of a healing. And so on the very surface, this makes sense to us. Jesus said, there are people who are sick and you should be ministering to them, not just asking me why I'm here, why don't you, right? It pains me that sometimes we expect that the sick people are gonna come here. We need to be willing to go there and love them and bring the gospel to them, amen? It's a very important part and aspect of our life that Christ modeled for us. That's a part of the gospel that we need to hold on to. But Jesus goes a step further and he quotes Hosea chapter six, verse six. And he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Now they would have been very aware of this text. And in Hosea, as um, Hosea is calling the people to repentance, this is what he says. This is what God says through Hosea. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so what Jesus says to the Pharisees is, hey guys, I appreciate all the burnt sacrifices. I appreciate the way that you tithe and you do all the things that that are written in the Torah. But could you stop for a moment and just give me your heart? Could you allow the things that you preach and that you champion actually to transform your lives. That's what they were saying in Hosea. And that is what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that they are righteous and they don't need a physician. He's saying all of us fall short. Those who are self-righteous, those who think we are not messed up, we all need to make sure that we have a good, clear picture. It's just like Ash Wednesday service, a good, clear picture of the things that we have standing between us and a right relationship with Jesus and do everything we can to get those things out of the way, so that when people look at us, they don't see our garbage, they see the Spirit of God, they see the transformation of our life that looks more like Jesus. And so quickly, um, because I want to always hold Scripture well, let me tell you about the text that we just looked at, and then we're going to take a step back, and in terms of the series, talk about maybe what Matthew was walking through. And so the first thing that I think we have to deal with, if we're just going to look at the series, is the awareness that Jesus came to call sinners— And if you are keeping score, that is all of us, okay? If you are not a sinner, then let's go walk on some water. I'm just kidding. I don't mean that. Um, All of us 
have sin in our lives, and this is Jesus coming for us to bring us healing and to offer us hope. If you don't recognize and understand your own brokenness, then there's some work to be done to recognize that our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have the righteousness of Christ when we believe and allow that to become a part of our lives. And so what I would say to you is be careful like the Pharisees not to evaluate someone else's sin as worse than yours. But this is an important counterbalance to this message, right? Lest we think that Jesus is just coming and loving everybody and leaving us just as we are. Would not have been okay for Jesus to call Matthew the tax collector and Matthew to not change and and do something in his life. Jesus loves you and accepts you as you are, but he also loves you enough to not leave you as you are. So for instance, in this message, follow me is a call to a life of transformation. Follow me is to walk away from the sin and brokenness and allow God to sift us so that we can look more like Christ every single day and less like ourselves to be transformed in the image of God. That's the text. That's the heartbeat of the message for everyone that's there. So let's back up and let's talk about Matthew. What is it about Matthew, the arc of his life? What do you think he was struggling with? And I'm going to use a a modern vernacular to tell you what, what I think it was. And you may hear this church bantered about, and sometimes it's maybe given more credibility than than what it needs, but I'm going to tell you it's very, very important. And many of you here are going to understand this right when I say it. For me, I believe Matthew is a person who suffered from what we would call church hurt or hurt by the religious order of the day, abused by the church, ostracized, shoved aside because of his profession, because of maybe the life that he lived, that they were not representing God in the way that they should. And so therefore, the image that Matthew was seeing and and how Matthew was being treated was not at all the way that God would have treated him. And so if in your life you've ever said something to this effect, I don't have a problem with church. Church is not the problem. The problem is what? The people, right? Church is awesome. If it wasn't for the people, the people are crazy, man. I mean, the way that they just harp and go crazy and do all this different stuff, I mean, it's just, it's crazy how bad people will treat different people, right? So we have, to, we have to wrestle with this and we have to go through it. So to me, what is the counterbalance? What happened in his life? If church hurt was his issue, what happened for Matthew? And I honestly believe this. If he lived in Capernaum and he sat and he listened to the Sermon on the Mount and he heard the Beatitudes, let me just read these quickly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus would have said that. There's not a Pharisee on the planet that would have ever said that because why would a person who's poor in spirit be blessed? No, no, no. Jesus is making a greater point. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit who recognize that they do not have the spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So so as Matthew listens to this message, he's hearing this rabbi say this. And if I know people who live in this world When they hear you say something, they're now going to watch you and to see whether or not you live it out. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who want to actually be righteous. So Matthew's looking at the religious order, and he's like, what's the matter with these guys? They're not even close. But he's going to watch Jesus, right? And then ultimately, uh, verse 11, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. I wonder when Matthew wrote those words, if he didn't account that to his credit, that he finally was able to live into that and live those words out. So for me, when Jesus walked up to Matthew and said two simple words, follow me, I gotta believe that it was in that moment after that body of work that he had put together, that might've been the only rabbi that ever looked him in the face and invited him to be a part of ministry. And something clicked from Matthew and he said, I'm done. This is the life that I wanna live. This Jesus is real. He represent, He didn't know this at the point, but he represents the revealing of the father or the true heart of the gospel. And if that's what Jesus looks like, that's what I wanna be a part of. So here's what I would say. If you fall into this category and you've been hurt by the church, and I'm telling you, everybody probably has to some degree. I'll tell you this. If you haven't been hurt by this church, just hold on. Eventually, probably will happen, right? Because there is a perfect gospel in the hands of imperfect people, and that's not good math. At some point, I'm gonna make a mistake. Somebody in this church is gonna make a mistake, and it's gonna hurt you. And my prayer is that you will not allow our brokenness and our sin to block you from seeing the true image of God. Now, I'm not excusing my behavior and I'm not excusing the behavior of the church or the institution of the church. We have got to do better how we love and how we care for people. We've got to do better in doing that. 
But what I'm telling you is do not allow yourself to be held wrapped up in the bondage of church hurt and to be separated from the God that loves you because of decisions that some other man or some other woman did that did not truly understand the heart of God. My hope is that you will shove all that to the side and maybe you can discover, even if it's for just a moment, the true heart of the gospel, that God loved you so much, even in your broken state, that he would give the greatest thing he ever had, his own son, to offer you redemption in life. And it's a free gift. It's not something you can buy. It's not something you can earn. It just is a matter of taking and releasing our lives and welcoming him in and then choosing to follow and walking away from that other stuff. To me, that is the story of Matthew's life. And I hope to God as a church that we can understand this and that we can love people in a way that doesn't hurt them, but calls them to a life of righteousness and a life of transformation. This is a year of transformation that causes us to move the garbage out of the way so that people can see Jesus. Amen? And today you can open up your heart and you can choose to believe in him today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you for just this time and the opportunity to dig into Scripture and, and really unpack it in such a strange way and, and not 100% sure of understanding if that's exactly what Matthew was walking through, but the truth still remains. God, that, that as we work through and as we handle the gospel, we're going to make mistakes and that's going to hurt people. Lord, and I ask today for, for, um, for forgiveness for the hurt that we've caused, for the harm that we've caused. It's very real, and it's caused people to stay out of, of opportunities to where they can draw close and get to know you. And God, I pray that as we have a true repentant heart, that you can help us to be better, that we can represent you in better ways so that we can open up this kingdom so that more people can hear those words, follow me. And God, as we think of the people that maybe have not made that decision, let those words ring true. Follow me. Follow Jesus, yield our current understanding and way of being just ourselves and give it up for the light of who you are and what you've called us to and start on this journey of, of asking that thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Allow us to be part of that as we open up our hearts and we receive your son, Jesus. We love you, <laughs> we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now I invite you, if you will, to stand and, um, and to join us in this final song. Um, Addie's, Pastor Addie's down front. She would love to pray with you. I'll be over here on this side. would love to pray with you. Even if it's to pray a blessing over you and your family, whatever you're walking through today, thank you for your time.
Keep on singing, Jesus, the risen one, Jesus, has overcome. As long as I am breathing, I'm going to keep on singing, Jesus, be glorified, the way, the truth, the life. As long as I am breathing, I'm going to keep on singing, is it that while Matthew was still sitting at his booth, the one who created everything looked at him in his eyes and invited him to follow us. It's the same, follow him. It's the same invitation that he looks at you and says to you, just follow, follow me. It's my prayer that as we go this week, as we leave this place, that we're able to bring that sort of truth, that awareness to all places that we go. That we're able to share that life and love people well right where they are. If you're new here, maybe this is your first Sunday, you're looking for a way to further get connected, come have a conversation, come meet us out in the Next Steps room in the lobby immediately following the service, and we'll get you connected. If you're watching online, reach out to us through email, and uh, we'd love to get you connected in those ways. Before we leave this place, let's pray, y'all. God, we love you, and we know that you love us. God, thank you for loving us so much that you find us right in the midst of our own tax collector's booth, in the midst of our crazy lives but for loving us enough that you don't allow us to stay there. God, I would pray for transformation in my own life and our families and the lives of this church and this community, that we would be the ones who speak truth, who love well, and who follow you so incredibly closely. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love y'all, have a great week.